One second. Just one second. I want to make sure everyone can hear this now. Here we are. Ready? Well, 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 it is Wednesday, the 7th of June, 2017. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the Promotional Art Practice Live Chat here on MMAfighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me here on this wonderful, wonderful day. You know, it's amazing. I don't agree with our president about much, but when he said there's a lot of hate, oh, you know, I'm going to let this play through a little bit. There's a lot of haters and losers out there, sadly, of which there are many. I, he was right. I certainly agree with that. That is very much true, at least when it comes to Real Madrid, the back-to-back -back Champions League winners, uh, three of the last four, as a matter of fact. And it was amazing this season building up to this. And yes, we're going to get to MMA in about 30 seconds, so just chill. But I just wanted to send a note to everyone on Twitter or on Facebook or who sent me a hater-ass email being like, Bayern's going to get you or Bayern's going to get you, Atleti's going to get you, Barca's going to get you, UV's going to get you. Are they? Are they going to get us? Hmm? I don't think they are. I don't think that they are. I don't think that they did. So, suck it. That's for y'all. Okay. Welcome, everyone. Time to get down to business. A lot to get to on today's podcast, including, uh, let's see, of course, DJ, TJ, UFC, UFC 212 review, um, UFC Auckland is this weekend. There's a lot of stuff going on. Of course, best place to get those questions in is going to be on the comment section where this video is embedded, not on YouTube, on MMAfighting.com. I'll put the thread in the description box below. Um, okay, and I know everyone's like, oh, you're going to turn Real Madrid into a into a, uh, into a a uh, underdog story. No, but for some reason, people slurp Barca for reasons I cannot imagine who have no rooting interest either way. And they revile Real Madrid, but I mean, there's basically equivalent teams. And uh, if you cheer for them, you have to hear a constant buzzing of mosquitoes in your ear. Well, today is the day where you can't say shit. All right, let's get this going, shall we? I have this. I think it's full of sugar, so I probably won't finish it. All right, let us begin. Okay, uh, first question. This is interesting. All right. Let's see here. Well, you got right to work, didn't you? Uh, DJ versus Dana. Hey, Luke. DJ says that Dana threatened to get rid of the 125-pound division if he didn't fight TJ. <laughs> if Dana was to do that, would that automatically make DJ a free agent, or would he still be under contract and be forced to fight at a higher weight class. Side note, I don't think Dana is serious about getting rid of it. I would just like to know if legally that would make him an automatic free agent. No, it wouldn't. Uh, unless his contract stipulated it had to be at a certain weight class, which I don't think has ever been the case. Uh, maybe for a bout agreement, but not a, 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 a larger promotional agreement generally. So no, now he wouldn't have to fight. He could just stop fighting. Like they can't make you get in the cage with someone, but no, if they dissolve the division, he would just face a choice, uh, fight at one thirty-five or, or whatever, you know, whatever, 
Uh, maybe they would do catch weights or something, or uh, or just stop fighting uh, because he couldn't leave. I don't suspect, and that would ultimately be what that is. Um, there's a lot of different nuances to this DJ versus Dana stuff and DJ versus UFC. So I'm not. I'm going to go piece by piece with it as the questions lead us there. So it says, hey, Luke, do you think Dana White has become a liability to the UFC since he just can't stop himself from denigrating the organization's greatest fighters? That's a really interesting question. Um, let's see here. Hold on. <laughs> uh, and of course, on cue, members of the staff on Gchat sending me hate mail. Look at that. Real Madrid. All right, let's talk about Dana for just a second. Now, this your answer on this will depend entirely upon one's worldview about the fighter struggles, labor relations, and Dana White specifically. So, take it for a grain of salt. Take this my response certainly with a grain of salt. But um, you know, it was interesting when WME purchased the UFC. They kept they let go of so many people, um, including these sort of fixtures, Marshall Zelaznik. Um, Tom Wright, by the way, uh, there was a recent development in Australia where one of the last lingering regional cage bans was lifted. I mean, I'm sure in no small part to the efforts of Tom Wright. I mean, the list goes on, right, uh, of people like that who were let go. And then there was just a general staff downsizing. And I think it wrote a lot of people the wrong way. But, well, you know, they said they kept Dana on. That was pretty critical. And I thought that keeping Dana on was pretty critical. I mean, whatever issues people might have with him, there was a certain continuity Um that was maintained as a consequence, right? I made an analogy once in the MMA beat that when, you know, uh, directors or the heads of the Fed speak uh, publicly, they are very careful about their language so as not to royal the markets, right? They have to do that, Alan Greenspan or, or you know, whoever has held that position. And um, they're very deliberate. Right and very careful in how they word things without not telling the truth, but without without leading to language that would ultimately go a certain way. They want to provide a certain means of stability. Yeah, and I think keeping Dana White on was very much part of that stability, which I don't think anyone could really say was a bad idea. But there were some calls, and there have been calls for some time for new leadership. Um, and to extent you have some, right? You have a new matchmaker. Um, uh, there's been PR turnover and. There have been various people involved in the financial, and um, the, the CFO is different. And I mean, so, so to some extent, there is a, a new set of leadership. But here's what I mean: we talked about that fighter retreat, which, by the way, DJ points to as sort of this eureka moment about taking care of himself. Um, I think stability in the transfer from old ownership to new was absolutely critical. And I, to be clear, I am not calling. For Dana White to lose his job, because I still think there's a measure of stability that needs to be had. Um, these are still uncertain times. We have not rebounded into a place where we're getting 500,000 pay-per-view by months, you know, consecutively, or you know, UFC 100, UFC 101, where it was back-to-back -back, uh, million pay-per-view buy rate. We're not in that territory yet. Plus, there's these new contract talks that are going to come up relatively soon with the new TV deal that will, I'm sure, be created. But what I would say is. In watching what everyone is doing, from the Luke Rockholds to the Ally Quintus to now the DJs to the Diazes, you I mean you name it, everyone and their brother is not afraid of the UFC to speak out publicly anymore. Like none of them are afraid 
or very little anyway. What you're seeing is that, as I've talked about in this podcast before, that old order has eroded. And the UFC basically has a choice they got to make. Because what the DJ situation illustrates is that they're still doing a lot of the old things that used to work. It used to be the case that they could go and strong arm guys because they just had better leverage. This is a leverage world. They would play hardball with a lot of guys. That was the only game they knew because it would work. Um, and so everyone would just comply. But that's not really working anymore. Right? And what you need now is not merely a new order, and that would require both parties creating it, but certainly for just from the UFC side of things, they need a new way of figuring out how to, how to exact fighter, if not merely compliance, certainly agreement or um, a willingness to, to, con to, to keep the machine running in the way that it used to. And the leadership style that you saw for the last 10 years, which did work quite effectively, has come to a screeching halt at least insofar as some of the very public faces are concerned. Maybe it works with you know, lower-tier or mid-tier guys who, who still are, operate more or less the same. But when it comes to the top, at a minimum, there needs to be a new kind of strategy involved, or there needs to be somebody else who handles some of those major concerns. Um, because the old way of doing things, which they wanted to preserve that stability, or at least the veneer of it anyway, but probably more than that, there was a certain way that it operated that they didn't want to disrupt because it was working. It's not working now. Everything changed in an instant from the Reebok purchase to an extent, probably not really, but some with USADA, certainly um, um, with the, the WME purchased. All of the things that kept that order together, in parts, the glue was that heavy... Um, the heavy hand of the Zufa negotiating, nego negotiating leverage, that has come undone. It has come undone. Uh, and if they just continue to keep doing this, more and more guys are just going to keep doing what DJ does. It, it, it is inevitable. Every time a one person does it, there's a contagion that spread. It makes it easier for the next guy to do it. There's less of a taboo. Plus, he's a champion. And maybe number one pound for pound. I'm not the most celebrated figure, but... Uh, in terms of popularity, which is a discussion we'll get to later on, but um, to me, that 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 meant maintaining of Dana when, on the WME purchase made all the sense in the world. And again, I'm not saying that should change, but he has to change in some kind of way if he can, um, because whatever they're doing to get guys to comply, it does not work anymore. And this is what you're seeing. So I don't think I don't think I can affirmatively, affirmatively look at you here and declare that this is something that cannot be. Uh, fixed. Maybe it can. Certainly have to give the guy the opportunity to do that. But if they just keep doing the same old thing that they've been doing in terms of how they get guys to comply and establish order, it's not going to work. And even if you think that Luke Rockholds or DJs or Diaz's or whoever, pick whatever fighters demands out there you've never agreed with, whatever, even if you think that those demands are irrelevant, that doesn't matter. If they think they're relevant and they think they're interesting, they're not going to comply. I'm talking about finding a way to get compliance. And historically, it's been brute force, right? Just absolute, I've got the big bank, take a little bank uh, negotiating power here. So you're just going to do it. Not, not working anymore. So the question for Dana White is, can he pivot to some new kind of way where it's not going to be merely, you know, well, before I was just strong-arming guys, now I'm just going to give them everything they want. 
that's not going to work either. It's got to be a little bit of carrot and stick. But but uh, this is why I, I, I get on here every week and I say it, but I'm not going to miss another opportunity to do it. This is why fundamentally the fighters, and I know that TJ was out there sort of undercutting this effort by DJ to say this is a real line in the sand moment where I need to stand up for myself. And TJ was out there, the guy who was representing the double M triple A undermining him, which is its own issue. But um, this is why a, a, a some kind of collective voice for the fighter reaching some kind of collective agreement is so fundamentally critical for both parties. I know the UFC would probably look at any kind of revenue sharing constrictions there as just a non-starter and i understand that who wouldn't do that given how they've operated all this time those days are over and if, and if nothing changes they will merely get worse it will merely get worse dj one of the big things about what dj did is that you know you saw saint pierre come out and say you know the ufc knew for example that my eye was jacked up or all the all the various things he said um throughout this this bizarre period of his return but DJ was the first guy who really came out and laid it all out there, talked about the threats, talked about the demands, and 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 sort of showed them for what they were, which is just, you know, look, they can do all those things. Nothing that the UFC is proposing is in any way illegal, but it's hardball, man. It's super hardball. Let me tell you something. I tweeted this out. If you're anyone who's worked in MMA media for any kind of time, you have heard stories like this over and over and over again, some of which have been reported, some of which have not. And I'll tell you why. Some are like, why didn't you report them? You can't just report anything you hear. You have to source it. You have to verify it. And I got to be honest, almost to a man, certainly in my experience, and I can't speak for other journalists. I don't know what, you know, Brad Okamoto or Jeremy Botter or who, who the hell ever has heard things. I can't speak for them, although I certainly trust the reporting, but just from my vantage point, every time I've heard something like that, every single time I've heard something like that, and I've gone to verify it, there is an omerta. There is absolute silence. Nobody wants to say anything ever on the record or even talk about it at all. Nothing. Nothing. Um, you can't get anyone, and if you get one, you can't get two, right? Extremely difficult to report. One of the big things about what DJ did is he didn't worry about any of that. He made <laughs> he made everything public. Now the UFC hasn't responded publicly, so listen, and, and I think we reached out to them at MMA Fighting, and they they didn't they chose not to comment at this time. Okay, fine, but uh, but that's big. That is a in, in terms of that this constant, um, and and to be clear, the things we've heard at MMA Media. Number one. You can't get anyone to verify them, so how true are they? And number two, they're to varying degrees of severity here. Some of it is just, you know, mild hardball that's like, oh, all right, that's annoying, but no big deal. And then you hear stuff like this, like I'll I'll, I'll end the division or something, or, you know, you don't want to fight for us, we'll cut you, you can go to Bellator. I've heard stuff like that, you know. Um, but no one ever wants to talk about it, so you can't ever really, once you hear it, it's like, hey, I heard something, can you speak to this? Nope. Well, okay. DJ didn't worry about that. He just went right out and said it. And that's a big deal. Um, that's that's an important moment to, 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 you know, these are all alleged. I mean, UFC has a chance to respond. Maybe they will. But this is, it, it's, it absolutely undercuts um, the hesitation future fighters are going to have in speaking out, especially if DJ gets his way. Especially if DJ gets his way. Or 
Uh, he gets what the UFC wants, but he gets a lot out of him. And, you know, he takes his pound of flesh on the way out. It will show to, to have been effective. I mean, in, in almost no way can the UFC even win here. Like, even if he ends up fighting TJ, the only way they win is if they get something like the Aljamain Sterling situation where they were like, no one's going to bid here. Nothing's going to change. Or the Ally Quinta situation where, you know, he's just sort of fighting on the same contract. I suppose if they really stick to their guns and they don't change any of their demands or even reduce them, then maybe. But it feels like even if he consents to TJ and he gets anything of what he asked for, uh, it will show him to be effective. Um, so that's a new reality. This is what I'm talking about. Like whatever they were doing before, I'm sure it was very effective. Look at how often guys just took fights, you know, bang, 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 bang. Never said a word of complaint, at least not publicly and even privately when we, certainly in my experience, every, every goddamn time. We would try to get them to say something. Nothing. Nothing. So uh, so that had changed. That changed in an instant with DJ. Big, big deal. Very big deal, which I'm not sure a lot of people appreciated. Um, if you're willing to not merely talk about how you feel you've been wronged, but articulate alleged uh, super strong-arm tactics in negotiation, um, which are not, in my experience, as I understand it, only something Demetrius Johnson has experienced. There's a problem. There's a big problem. Um, they should expect more of this, and I think you'll see more of this if they don't change the way things are operating. It's it's a big problem for them. Uh, can you explain why DJ would no longer have a shot at the record if TJ misses weight? And someone responds, "If TJ missed weight, it wouldn't be a title fight. The belt would be on the line, as it would be as it would technically it would no longer be a flyweight fight." Same thing happened to Anderson Silva when he fought Travis Luter. Um, follow up to DJ's management question on Monday's MMA hour DJ mentioned this coach Matt Hume handles all of his contract negotiations to what extent do you believe that his several gripes with the UFC pay-per-view points opponents keeping the title belts etc could have been prevented by hiring one of the more well-known managers or management companies I don't know I don't know Matt Hume's management style I don't think he manages a lot of fighters he's really busy with training and running 1FC to the extent that he does. So that does not appear to me to be a super serious concern. Um, but this appears to be a manager following. I mean, look, a manager is not going to override his client. You have to do what your client wants ultimately. In this case, DJ's his client. So a um, bit of a conflict of interest there, but nevertheless. Jesus Christ, that is terrible. Someone says, this depends what's on what's in his contract. Eddie Alvarez's initial offered contract was silent regarding weight class other than his first bout for the lightweight championship. That's right. Mm -hmm. Case law, however, would indicate that the execution of the contract be reasonable so the UFC would not be able to enforce a contract like that if insisted at the lightweight fight at middleweight, right? Uh, so, no, there's no way. I mean, again, there might be for a title fight for a weight class because they have to specify that, but it wouldn't say you can only fight at this weight class or you're free if we can't make a fight only in this weight class. They would just say, well, you can just take a catch weight fight or fight a weight class up, which, by the way, you've already done under our tenure. So, um, so there you go. So that's that's the issue there as it relates to the questions you've asked. Now, there's more issues which we're going to delve into over the course of this. Um, I don't know. Should I go ahead and get to it now? Because now you all want to talk about Kimbo and Max Holloway. Yeah, let me just let me just get into it. I guess I guess I'll change my mind here a little bit. Uh, I won't I won't go back over the stuff we've already been over. But man, I find this situation to be absolutely fascinating for the number of directions that it cuts. By the way, big shout out to Todd Martin who 
has stuck his neck out there and said and said with things that I don't always agree with everything anyone says, really. And there's some parts of what Todd says I don't agree with. There are some parts are what Todd says I do agree with. But he was out there on Twitter. You can follow him at Todd Martin MMA, saying things a lot of people don't want to hear. And then on top of that, uh, defending them on the on the Press Row podcast with Jordan Breen. So check that out. I've, I've tweeted both of them. Um, you can see that on my Twitter feed at L Thomas News. Uh, look, even if you completely disagree with Todd, you need to hear what he has to say because I don't think he's totally wrong. His essential arguments, without going too long, are that there is some of what DJ is complaining about that is totally incoherent, that doesn't hold up under rational scrutiny. And I think some of it he's right about. Um, but I think there's a, for me, I see the situation a little bit differently than he does. But I would really encourage you to check some of your premises here by hearing what Todd has to say. Now, in, in, in continuing this discussion about DJ, this is a fascinating story because it makes one wonder to the previous question, would he feel this way had he gotten pay-per-view points to begin with, even if they were minor, if he had gotten them, if he had been in commercials, if he had gotten the belts, um, would there be this lingering discontent, right? This looks to me like a situation where a guy feels like um, he didn't have pay-per-view points because he wanted the money up front, right? He'd rather have guaranteed cash than some sort of speculative end where he, you know, he knew he wasn't a big promotional darling, so he knew he wouldn't get a lot, so he took a step back. He feels probably like he took a bit of an L on that one. He didn't get the belts. That feels a little bit, in his mind, probably disrespectful. He has done all the media asked of him. He has been on tour. He has done a thousand different things. Now, the UFC has done some stuff for him recently that's been really great. They have gone out and promoted him as this all-time pound-for-pound great, pound-for-pound best in the sport. Um, and I think that has had some effect positive for him. It is something of a bit of a marketing effort, but you know his effort, his point is that I haven't been marketed that well, and this has led to me a very central question about two things. Number one, who makes stars? How, how if I had to ask you, is Conor McGregor a star? You'd say yes. Ronda Rousey's not active, but let's say she was, or if we flashed back to just a year ago or something, what if I asked you if Ronda Rousey was a star? You'd say yes, or let's go back to 2009. Is Brock Lesnar a star? Is Chuck Liddell a star? Is who? You know, you answers to all those questions would be yes. And then you'd have to ask yourself, how did they get there? Who is responsible for this process? How is a star? We know we've got one. Trace for me how they got here. Show me that direct line. And there is this belief out there, even among I think um, well-established. Uh, members of the community, be they fans or media or some other kind of observer, they believe that um, the UFC can basically make stars. I'm not convinced of that. I don't think there's really a lot of evidence for that. And I think the current predicament we find ourselves in is evidence of that. Now, you might say, well, they can... They've just done a poor job of it. Okay. If they've done a poor job of it, who's done a great one? I mean, everyone likes to look at what the UFC's failings are without realizing that there's not a lot of groups doing it better. Even if you looked at Strike Force's numbers, I do believe Scott Coker is a good, uh, a very good promoter. Maybe even naturally better than Dana White in some ways. Um, but uh, all of their biggest names are names that they've signed from elsewhere. That's a real thing. To me, my sense of things is that there are certain people whose stories naturally just sound better. 
whose ability to speak publicly inclines them more, or they have some kind of resume or word of mouth about them. There is just a natural organic energy that propels them forward. Some do it like Conor McGregor with their in-cage achievements and their mouth and their identity. Some do it like Ronda Rousey, where she can do a little bit with her mouth and her in-cage achievements, but also with this incredible story of almost being a heroine or um, you know, um, this woman trailblazing this path being picked up by people who would never watch MMA and that, you know, driving her into the mainstream. It's a lot of forces pushing together. And I think the UFC can create a platform. I think they can be really good about giving a microphone when someone asks for it, giving a stage, doing a lot of things they need to do. And I've talked about Conor McGregor being the best promoted fighter I've ever seen because when he asked for a microphone, he was given one and then he delivered. When he was asked for a stage, he was given one and he delivered. But I don't think the UFC can turn water into wine. I really fundamentally don't believe that. To me, it is not at all true that the UFC could make something out of nothing if they just put more effort into it. Now, have they properly promoted guys like Stipe, Stipe Miocic to an extent, but I think they could do a better job. Have they properly promoted guys like DJ? That's a separate question. I don't think that they really have. But the question you have to answer, answer is to your mind is, if they did, if they, if they really gave a push, and we're talking about a finite amount of resources they have every year, they don't have an infinite amount of money, they don't have an infinite amount of uh, human resources, they don't have an infinite number of different digital channels, they've got, it's, it's, it might be expansive, but it's limited. And you have to decide every year who's going to get what and how you're going to allocate resources. And if you choose to make those calculations, you have to make difficult ones at times. So I don't think DJ's been promoted uh, properly. But I also think that this notion that he could be some big star if they just really buckle down, um, I don't buy it. I really, really don't buy it. I don't, I don't think everyone is necessarily meant for stardom. Um, I think he could be bigger than he is. I think he should be bigger than he is. When he says he hasn't been promoted properly and he feels slighted by that, I think he's got a reason for that, which I'll talk about in just a second. But fundamentally, we need to answer this question, how are stars made? The answer is through willing third parties who help propel someone who is naturally on a, a trajectory northward. And sometimes it's very, very slow process. Sometimes it takes time to build. It's just not true. Everyone has the same capacity for stardom, right? It, it's, it's, that's, that's a myth. It's really a myth. What you need to, what you need to, we have to reconcile is, is DJ as big as he could be, as big as he should be? And that's where I side with DJ. The answer there is clearly no. And this is why he's different to me. It's been clear for a while that this guy was getting really, really good, really, really fast and beating really, really good guys. To me, he is a prestige asset. When I say asset, I know that sounds kind of bizarre because we're talking about human beings, but just hear me out. In a lot of different companies, they'll have, let's say, five to 10 brands in that portfolio and some will be money makers but they're not really prestige right some will be prestige outlets like there's a certain amount of they're uh, they're viewed with uh, sophisticated as high level as elite as the best but they don't necessarily draw revenue this is very very common in a lot of different sectors of the of the american and frankly the world economy the reason why you want that prestige brand is because of what it says about your company about what it says about your quality, about what it says about you. We've got the very best here. Watch. Well, now, as you look at him, remember whose uh, logo is on his gloves. 
remember what the belt says as we wrap it around his waist, right? You are, you are to an extent, uh, inside the halo of what they offer by providing your own halo. But you don't look at them like a cash machine. You they provide. To me, that's how DJ is. DJ is a is a is a prestige brand. Who, by the way, UFC makes money off of him, and they make money off of the flyweights generally. They just don't make a ton of money off of them, right? That's that's not what the flyweights are for. That's not what DJ is for. DJ is there to provide and to show that this company has the best fighter, arguably walking the planet and we're going to treat him like that because i also believe that if you've got a guy like that and if they confer upon your brand that kind of prestige that they demonstrate your way to make that person happy now you don't have to give into all their demands of course and if you listen to todd martin his argument about i should get tj's purse if he fails to make weight when the fight falls through or whatever the case may be is an unreasonable demand i think that's a fair point but at the same time this is a guy who is clearly special who clearly deserves an extra level of treatment that they've just never gotten around to. They've let in their overall malaise about the flyweights impact how they've treated him to some extent. Now, they have done some good things for him. They have put him on some big pay-per-views, and they have put him on a number, I think four or five Fox cards. That's not nothing, right? Imagine if they had put some other big fighters who you know who are on the way up, giving him that kind of exposure. You might say to yourself, wow, that's really, really good exposure that they've given this person. Um, but but I think there's probably some different things they could have done. They could have embraced his video game side instead of burying it for a long time, right? There are just some nuances and accepting him for who he is that they got a lot around to way too late. And by that point, there had been this discontent that had built up. So so in that sense, I really, really side with DJ. I think trying to look at him as like some moneymaker is totally misplaced. That's not That's not the value he delivers. The value he delivers is we have the best person doing it maybe ever right here right now you know why because this company is the company that matters this is this is the big boy and big girls club right this is where the action happens we are the preeminent brand in the space for a number of reasons not least of which is the best person doing it fights right here that's his value you better go out of your way to treat him well the second question that it raises is we need to have an honest conversation about the flyweights. To me, I've mentioned DJ deserves special treatment. Clearly. That this guy feels like he's been wronged and done everything he's supposed to do, and he's on the cusp of breaking a record, and he can't get them to bend a little bit, um, is clearly a totally messed up situation in large part of the UFC's own doing. No, no doubt about it, right? Just no doubt about it. Uh, on the other hand, we need to have an honest conversation about the flyweights and about lower weight class guys. Is it true to say that they can never be big stars? No, it is not true. Is it true to say that there's probably some argument to be made that they've been underpromoted? It is true. Is it true to say that you can't make money off of them? As I mentioned before, that is not true. They have made money off of them. Is it true, however, that that market, the natural inherent interest in that market, both among the hardcore and the casual fan base, is tantamount to what you can find generally at lightweight, generally at light heavyweight, or generally at heavyweight? The answer is quite clearly no. If you go and look at the top boxing and MMA pay-per-views, what you see is that the heavyweights and the 140-pounders essentially dominate on both sides. You'll have your Mayweather Canelos, your Mayweather Pacquiao's, and then you'll have your 
Holyfields and Tysons and Lewises. And then on the MMA side, you've got your McGregors and a little bit of your Rouseys too, but that's semi-different. And then, of course, you've got uh, your Lesners up there. And then I think number 10 is uh, Jackson uh, Evans, so light heavyweight. There's just sort of that, that's sort of the two interesting ways. I mean, I think it says a lot that there's this almost mirror image of the two on both sides. Now, you might be able to argue, well, if promoters don't put flyweights in those positions, if they don't promote them properly, if they don't put them on these marquee events and really build up stories and tell them properly, well, of course, they're not going to be as big. They put more effort into heavyweight. They put more effort into featherweight. And this begins to get back to that chicken and the egg scenario where you could say, well, that might be true, but what happens if they do put all that into featherweight or into flyweight and you don't get the same kind of result? To me, I think what promoters recognize is that there's just not as much near inherent interests in this space. We have a finite amount of resources. We have to devote them into ways that make sense for our brand, even if one division ultimately gets shortchanged. Um, I think DJ should get a carve out from that, but uh, but I can understand why they don't put as much into that flyweight division. Not to say I endorse every decision the UFC's ever made about flyweight, but that there's a certain reluctance to really dig into the to the space. I understand that. Look, what does it say that the UFC is threatening to blow up their flyweight division and Bellator doesn't even have one? Uh, that that's not a good sign. If this if it's true that all divisions could equally be made into into stars, uh, and everyone in those divisions could equally be made into stars, they just would. Promoters would just step on the gas and turn it into something, but that's not the way it works. There are inherent natural ways in which the market shapes itself, and those contours can be fluid at times, and we don't always know the parameters. It is true that people thought for a time 140s can never be big stars, and look at them now. Maybe in 20 years we'll have to revisit this conversation when attitudes change. But to me, the hardcore fan base might love DJ. Everyone watching this probably does. But if you're talking about the larger fight fan, the casual one, the donk at the water cooler who thinks Ronda Rousey is fighting next month and loves Brock Lesnar and doesn't know Jack S about the sport, that guy is who, who is very, very common. That's that's your most common casual fan is someone like that, right? An idiot. I hate to say it, but the, you know, the casual fans are idiots. They have the worst fight palettes on earth. And that's the other thing that that binds this conversation together. Casual fans have terrible fight palettes. Terrible. Look, I can. Does any real hardcore fan really want to see Mayweather McGregor? I mean, some sure, and even like you know a, a jaundiced clown like me probably looks at it and says, "I mean, all right, I guess I'll watch." You know, but that's not really what we wanted. What we wanted was Connor versus Habib, or you know, um, I don't know, uh, Mayweather versus. Canelo two or so, so I, I don't know, but it wasn't like that. That is a media fiction that got turned into a fight reality or, or is turning into a fight reality because they just, they have terrible fight palettes. You might be like, how is it possible? People want to see drunken, sloppy heavyweights over Demetrius Johnson. I don't know. I can't explain it except to see, I keep seeing that kind of thing all the time and it keeps working. How is it possible that people want to see Conor McGregor, who's only, when he fought Jose Aldo, when he fought Chad Mendes, who's only 20 pounds bigger, you know, roughly, than Demetrius, and they don't want to just see Demetrius? I don't know, man. I don't get it either. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. There is these inherent contours to the space that have that seem irrational and hard to figure out. They are irrational. It doesn't make sense. If you really understand fighting and what's good about it and what's bad about it, it makes no sense at all.
But that's not the point. The point is the market is driven by people who have no sense about it at all. And we kind of have to understand that a little bit. The fact that Scott Coker won't even dip his toes into that, and they're fine with having a women's featherweight division. What does that say? It says a lot to me. It says a lot to me. So in the end, I think we can talk about whether DJ is, I don't know if he's, or DJ is, is he ducking TJ? I don't know. I don't think so. Should he fight Ray Borg? I believe that he should for different reasons. Um, but it's a complicated scenario, and there are some uncomfortable truths about flyweight and about the way in which stars are made that we need to accept before we can really have a, a proper conversation about this. All right. Kimbo Slice. Yesterday was one year since the passing of Kimbo Slice. What is your best memory you have when it comes to Kimbo Slice? Um, it was at the workout for uh, the Ken Shamrock fight. He came late. And, uh, I mean, I have many Kimbo Slice memories from watching him on TV, and of course, but I guess in person. Uh, he came late. He didn't work out, <laughs> which, which, <laughs> which was kind of funny. But um, I had never met his family before. His wife was there, and his daughter was there. And that was the first time you really got a sense of who Kimbo was beyond the camera. Like, if your only relationship to someone is this, is a camera, you don't really know them. You know, that's been a big lesson for me, too. I mean, you might think you know them. You don't. They're, they're different. They're not exactly who you think they are. Some ways better, some ways worse. In this case, it was a better one. His wife looked to me like, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Anybody you could, I mean, your neighbor, someone you would run into at the grocery store, someone you'd meet at your church, daughter the same way, kids you grew up with in, in, in high school or middle school. I think she'd be more like a middle school age at the time. But, um, you know, that kind of thing. Like absolute normal salt of the earth people that were just trying to figure out, like you and me, a way to get through life. And they happened to have a dad who was famous, who fought in cages. Uh, and and that was what it was, which is kind of a weird thing. But they never looked to me. They didn't dress a certain way they would tell you that. They didn't act a certain way they would tell you that. They acted, dressed, talked, looked, interacted as, I'm telling you, the most normal people you've ever seen. And that was the first time where I've kind of felt like I knew Kimbo a little bit differently. And even then I didn't know him, we weren't friends or anything, but it was just, it was just, it was this very eureka moment I had. I, for the first time I could sort of, I, I, I literally saw him differently from that point on, you know? Um, so I'll, I always remember that. I remember the gym and how hot it was and the reaction I had when I was talking to them, they were as pleasant as you could be as normal. Just felt like another middle-class family in America. You know, it really, it really did. It really did. Uh, Max Holloway. All right. Hey, Luke. So several months ago on the week of UFC 206, I asked your prediction on the Holloway-Pettis fight. You said Holloway. All right. While also saying that I believe Max will then beat Jose Aldo and even Conor McGregor if they ever fight. You said not to go that far, and you were certainly right, because as UFC 212 approached, I wasn't so sure he would beat Jose, but I still thought Max could win via decision and not by brutal TKO like he did. So what I want to say and also ask Max Holloway has had one of the greatest achievements in the sport. In a few years, he won an 11-fight win streak in a really tough division, defeating two former champions and becoming a champion himself, and I feel like he's very underappreciated. How do you view Max at this point? And also, who do you think besides Frankie has a legitimate chance of beating him? 
does it take an Anthony Johnson type of fighter who's extremely dangerous in the first round? Boy, great question. All right, so let's go first here. How do you view Max at this point? I view Max as an unbelievable talent who we are lucky to get to watch. I was blown away, man. Blown away by his performance at UFC 212, especially upon review. Because if you just watch it, if you just watch a fight once like that, you'll walk away, I think, with the impression that, well, Jose won the first two rounds and didn't necessarily get caught. Max is such a adept, accurate, thoughtful striker that he saw an opening and he took it. That's not exactly getting caught, especially the way he polished him off, you know, but that, uh, you know, Jose looked good and he did look good. I don't want to undermine Jose either, but that's not what I saw on reviewing it. What I saw was a spider slowly spinning a web and it wasn't that big in the first round, spinning the web in the second round and it was bigger and you could now not uh, uh, unsee it, but it wasn't enough to catch the prey. But by the third round, it was way too big. It was way too big. And the fly, or whatever, the bug analogy you want to use, got caught in it. That's how I look at it to me. Is that one got per- one one insect was over there doing what it was doing, and the other one was just slowly spinning this web. And by the time the third round came around, he had it, it was dead to rights. I mean, even also, you could say once he got the knockdown, just the and you go back and you watch my Monday morning analyst or my post-fight show, even though even if Aldo had survived. That barrage, there's no way he would have won in that fourth round. That took all the energy anyone could possibly have. Uh, Max would have polished him off anyway. So um, so there's that. But f- to me, I-, I look at Max Holloway at 25 years old as an absolute next-generation fighter. I think he's doing things in these fights that people aren't even noticing. And certainly I didn't notice it. And I'm sure I'm sure there's also stuff I'm completely missing. And I'm sure it takes a striking coach like Brandy Gibson or an overall coach like John Cavanaugh or whoever, those guys who thought Holloway was going to win. I, I bet you if you talk to them, they would see extra stuff. Everyone talks about Luan Chagas fighting uh, Judo Jim Wallhead and switching stances in front of him. And what you see uh, from uh, what you see from Holloway in this is he fights, first of all, how crazy is it that this guy can fight Ricardo Lamas, one of the best featherweights in the world, and fight him southpaw 95% of the time. Then he can fight orthodox 95% of the time against Jose Aldo, and he can beat them both. That is bonkers, bonkers level crazy, okay? The fact that he can do that is, 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 a, is, a, is marvelous. And then more than that, when you see how he just slowly finds ways to push guys in certain directions, both in a literal physical direction or a strategic direction, right? Because two different things. And then get someone to think about that, change that. He's anticipating your change, both physical and strategic, and he's already got an answer for you. It's 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 just so brilliant. He's just he's a brilliant, brilliant fighter. He might have, and Brian Stan was talking about this, one of the highest fight IQs in the game. That is so true. He is so, so smart. Super, super smart. Doing things that most guys are not doing. Not merely stance switching. Doing it at a time and place after forcing you into a physical and strategic direction so that you can't anticipate it or do anything about it when he springs it upon you. Uh, he's he's amazing. I really, I don't know what kind of promotional star he's going to be. I wonder if we're heading in the direction of another type. I don't think so because of that relationship to Aldo and McGregor that he has. Although the McGregor one feels pretty distant at this point, but um, he's fighting bigger names. Let's just put it that way. So I don't, I don't worry about it too much, but um, 
I am I am so excited about his future. I think he's I truly mean this. I think he is one of the best fighters competing in the UFC today. And do if you're a Fight Pass customer and when that fight pass when that fight goes on Fight Pass or if you purchase the pay-per-view on Fight Pass, do yourself a favor. Go and watch some of those exchanges and watch them in slow motion and watch just for the subtle things that Max Holloway is doing, how he's forcing the fight again, physical and uh, metaphorical in the direction that he wants and then taking advantage of it. He's he's just a, he's a completely another level from the rest of these featherweights. So you're asking about Frankie. I don't think Frankie has a legitimate chance. Now you never know. Frankie's a very very um, talented tactical guy who is not easy to put away. Um, tough as they come, well rounded, great wrestler. He's going to test that wrestling of Max Holloway. I guarantee it. But you know, I spoke to Ricardo Lamas last week, and Lamas I asked him what was the most surprising thing about fighting Max Holloway, and his answer was he goes I just couldn't believe his takedown defense honestly. He goes, I thought I would have much more success. I didn't have one-tenth of what I wanted. Nothing. Couldn't believe. He said his hips have just impeccable timing on a sprawl or a turn on an angle. He, he, was, he was effusive in praise about Ricardo Lamas in that, in that sense. So I'm, I am very high on him. Now, you're asking about contenders as well beyond Frankie. Look, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. They might do another Cup Swanson fight. They might do something else, and who knows? But... I know this, Featherweight has a lot of young guys coming up the pipe, and maybe those guys can't handle them. Maybe Max Holloway moonlights at 155. You don't want to see Max Holloway versus Tony Ferguson? Boy, I do. You don't want to see Max Holloway versus Ally Aquinta, Max Holloway versus Habib Nurmagomedov? Because, boy, I do. So I think this guy is going to run over people at Featherweight, and then he's going to move to Lightweight, and he might do the same up there if he keeps going, and he can stay out of trouble. Plus, by the way, if you guys haven't noticed, boy's got a chin on him too. I mean, tough as they come. Uh, and as smart as they come. There, there's not many fighters in the whole of UFC better than Max Holloway. Maybe a handful, if that. Dude is legit. All right. DJ's pay-per-view cut. Luke, DJ's recent comments on having never received a cut off of pay-per-view are kind of sad. When Randy Couture's contract became public quite a few years back, he began getting a cut at 100,000 bucks, and it's tiered. So you get more money at 100,000 or up, more money at 200,000 or up, and more like 400,000 or up, or whatever. However they tier it, you don't get the same amount at each interval. There's different intervals, and there's more money the higher you go. So you make more as not merely because you've sold more. It's not it's not arithmetic. It's, it's uh, geometric, right? the curve god damn that is terrible there are articles that state eddie and gilbert uh, eddie alvarez and gilbert melendez secured a cut of the pay-per-view when they signed with the ufc regardless of being champion or where they were on the card during dj's interview with ariel he said or at least implied that matt hume negotiates his contracts for him how on earth does he not have a management team negotiating his contracts he, there's an old interview uh someone posted it to sent it to me from mma junkie where he said um, he didn't want pay-per-view points. He wanted the money up front guaranteed. So that partly might be a function of him simply um, declining them or not making a big stink about them. It's just that now he wants them. Now, you also should note he was offered them for the TJ fight and he turned them down. To me, it's like there is a bit of a contradiction in terms of what he's asking for uh, and what's being offered and ultimately what his solution to those two things are. Although on the other hand, he should be, I should, I think again, as a prestige outlet, you're just like, all right, we should get him against 
Ray Borg. All right, take the Ray Borg fight, get him against those because I don't think the sales would be appreciably different against T against uh, yeah TJ. So there are some complicating factors here. Someone says the claim that White is the greatest promoter ever is so laughable. He's got the best fighter in MMA on the roster and has failed to promote him. That's a huge indictment of White. I don't think he's failed to promote him. I think he has promoted him improperly. But the question is if he promoted him to their to their fullest extent, right? The best they know how. How would how big would he be? The Fertitas put up all the money. The fighters provide all the blood and the sweat. White was just the middle guy cashing huge checks. Certainly, I have my criticisms of Dana White, but that would not be one of them. Someone says, the UFC, they're quoting me, can't make something out of nothing. DJ isn't nothing. Didn't say he was. In fact, I said quite the opposite. He's arguably the best fighter on the planet who wrecks opponents and does it with great skill. His lack of promotion falls squarely on White in the UFC. He's ready-made. It's crazy. Okay, if you think that, do you really think that if it was strictly a function of just getting out there and really promoting him, that the world tomorrow would fall in love with him? You believe that? That What you're suggesting is, I can make somebody, a talented fighter, in this case, the best, maybe going today, I can make him be something that people may not ordinarily consider him to be or might not know who he is. I can make this person a popular attraction. I can make them so popular they'll be on The Tonight Show. You're saying it's a function of effort. If it's a function of effort, there are all kinds of stars that they can make. All they have to do is put resources behind them. That seems fundamentally untrue. That's a different question from whether A, DJ has been promoted properly. I don't know who could possibly say he has been. Clearly, he has not been promoted properly. It's a different question from how popular would he be if they promoted him heavily. I think he would be more popular. But I don't think he'd be selling five to seven to eight hundred thousand pay-per-view buys, if for no other reason he's got no rival. Now TJ story settles that a little bit, but even then I don't think it'd be a, as we mentioned previously. I don't think that would change things dramatically. Although I think long-term fighting guys like Garbrandt or Dillashaw is probably in his long-term best interest in terms of that kind of thing. But what you're saying is they can take a super talented fighter, or are you saying they can take only? the best pound-for-pound fighter, and they can turn him into that. So it's only the best pound-for-pound fighter they can do that to, right? If you're the number one guy on the rankings or later, whoever you are, all it is is a function of just getting out there and promoting you, and they can turn you into somebody who's going to be on The Tonight Show hamming it up with Jimmy Fallon. Is that what you're saying? Because that seems to me terribly untrue. If that's all it would require was just getting out there and making UFC shows about them and having them on Facebook Q&As and trying to do book media tours for them, if that was the case, this is merely a function of effort and just enough dollars and this person will turn a corner. It's a, it's a, it's a process. We know how to do it. It costs X amount of dollars, X amount of years, X amount of media exposure. That just seems deeply, deeply flawed. That's not saying he hasn't been done wrong. He has. That's not saying he doesn't deserve more. He does. That's not saying he couldn't be more. He can. But what it's also not saying is anybody or even very good fighters, the UFC just can turn anyone to a star with a function of effort. Not true. Super, super not true. Hick Diaz versus Lamas. What do you think of this late replacement? I mean, who doesn't love this fight? 
There's everything to love about this fight. Uh, who do you see the, the fight with Lamas? How do you see the fight with Lamas going? Okay, hold on, hold on one more time. Someone says, I'm not talking about G DJ specifically, but you are. You are talking about DJ specifically. Not the basic fighter on the prelims. He's got the skill and style for it. It's a UFC failure, not DJ's. It's the UFC's failure to honor their prestige asset. But answer this question. Is star making strictly a function of effort? That's what you have to understand. Is it a function of effort? To an extent it is. To an extent, yes. And to that extent, the UFC has failed him. Sure. It's not the extent. It's an extent. Some people are not cut out for stardom. I don't know why. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not defending it. But it is the way of the world. Not everyone is going to be the bee's knees. Sometimes people will be the bee's knees that you can't understand. How in the world is this cash me outside girl, to DJ's point, so popular? I don't know. The world's filled with idiots. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Well, people just love her shtick. I don't know. I don't know. But some things and people, either as trends or fads or as cultural phenomenons, resonate more. There is a natural organic interest that requires a lot less promoter push. What made Connor special was that he had all of those and they pushed. So it was this major, major confluence of powers. On this side, the UFC has failed him. On this side, I'm saying there's a limited win. There's a, there's a narrow, there's, there's a limit to how big he can be. Unless some things categorically change. Some kind of Conor McGregor figure emerges at Flyway, which I do think is possible. Or he gets a series of rivals that really elevate his space. But you're telling me this guy was supposed to be selling 1 million pay-per-view buys, fighting you know as much as I like him, John Moraga, or uh, you know Chris Cariasso, or or who you know Tim Elliott? No, it's not possible. It's not possible. Back to Hick Diaz versus Lamas. How do you see the, Lamas, the, the fight with Lamas going? Interestingly, Lamas makes leg kicks and takedowns a big component of his, the fight. Um, doesn't mind exchanging a little bit. Can be pushed back. It's interesting. I, I But at the same time, Knight is open a lot for uh, counter shots, which um, Lamas is really good at. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be wild. I think it's going to be a lot of counter fighting from Lamas, some takedowns, and then escapes, right, just to sort of disrupt the rhythm. Uh, it's going to be up to Knight to avoid being taken down uh, or, you know, to force Lamas to get off of him immediately with some kind of submission attempt, like a leg lock or something like that, right? Those are very, very good for getting a guy to pull out, and he needs to avoid being hit. But that one's going to be wild. Or Lamas might jump on a guillotine. You see a lot of that, too. So that one's going to be fun. Uh, you mentioned in a tweet that Knight was one of your favorite interviews. Any reason you did not upload it to your YouTube channel? Didn't feel like it. Uh, I mean, I can't put everything on. The answer is I can't put everything on my YouTube channel. Some things I can put on there, some things I can't. If you really want to hear the full show, you got to pay for it. It's, it's just the best I can tell you. I understand that some people can't. I understand that some people won't. But I'm, I'm limited in what I can put on there. So uh, what do you think of Jason Knight and how far he can go? I think he's super talented. I think he's super interesting. And I think he can go very far. I think he has the ability to be a title contender. I really do. He's that good. Ooh, interesting question. Sympathy for Ray Borg. Before anything else, 
Congrats on Madrid's success. Thanks. Can't stand the team, but also can't deny they are the best there is at the moment. All right, fair enough. While DJ is without a doubt the main person at the heart of the current issue, do you feel any sympathy to Ray Borg as well? He is a fighter who has been almost become a kind of punchline in all of this with people claiming to be him to be the safe fight instead of the threat of TJ. I don't know that I would feel sympathy for him. He's 23, and it's not like he is. I mean, he is the top contender, but he's not like he's not like Max Holloway was prior to the Holloway prior to the uh, Pettis fight or something, where you got this like undefeated run. Additionally, now he finds out that DOC basically forced him on DJ to start with. That's less. I think that's more common. Like we want you to take this guy over that guy. That's that's less of an issue. And also, it's, it's what it sounds like to me was they believe in Pettis, uh, Sergio. But that they want him to um, mature and develop a little bit, even though he's made a ton of progress. By the way, someone notes this. You know, it's funny that um, DJ was worried about TJ missing weight when Ray Borg has missed weight a number of times. Someone says sympathy for all the fighters, but Borg has serious problems making weight. He weighed in at one twenty nine and a half for the Smolka fight, and is only on a two fight win streak. In some divisions, you need an eight fight win streak to get a title shot, but hey, this is flyweight. Credit to DJ, he's basically cleaned it out. Borg is hardly a sure bet to make championship weight, and I'm surprised DJ hasn't pointed out that given the importance that he puts on breaking the record. No one also notes, however, TJ Dillashaw has never made 125 pounds and obviously has never had a win in 125. Borg wins that debate by fault. That is my position as well. Uh, okay, TJ Grant. Is he officially retired from MMA? Yeah, I think so. I'm, somehow I... I, somehow I ended up being friends with him on Facebook. I think it's an old connection. I don't really know how it happened, but uh, he occasionally updates his feed and he posts like MMA news, but I think he's still working in like as a minor, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, DJ pay-per-view points. I think we went over this already. You find it strange that DJ has been a champion for so long, but has never had pay-per-view points to the only champ that doesn't get any. Sounds like it. Was it DJ's management's fault? I don't know if it's DJ's management's fault. Well, okay, to some extent, to some extent it is. But we go over this almost every chat. Hey, how is it that Tony Ferguson can have this bout agreement and uh, Habib can't make weight? He makes weight and he doesn't get a penny. Well, he doesn't get, he got a hundred grand, but that wasn't even what his show money was. How is this possible? This is possible because there is generally, what do you want to call them, failures or not? There is this, there is this MMA promoter reluctance to carve out guarantees for guys where even if they said, okay, look, we know DJ is not going to sell a whole lot up front. So how about this? His first three title defenses, uh, no pay-per-view points. Um, if he manages to make it to four to five title defenses, he gets them at a certain level. And if he makes it beyond that, where he's like, you know, on the verge of breaking the record, he gets them at another level altogether. Right. Um, they could have done that. I don't know to what extent UFC would have been open to it. I'm just saying you continually find these contracts where guys just have no guarantees, so they run into this dead end, and then they're forced to you know pull the guns out and try and rob the bank, uh, rather than having any kind of contractual uh, you know escalators or any kind of liberty. Fighter discontent, Luke. Whilst not knowing what goes on behind the scenes, certainly this year seems to be a lot more. There seems to be a lot more uh, public fighter discontent. Y'all see this? My, I keep getting a pulsating thing here in my head. 
That said, there are also fighters who seem very happy, although it seems more so the newer fighters to the UFC. Given there are, are 500 fighters on rosters, is this simply a case of you can't please all the people all the time, or is there something more serious going on? There is definitely something more serious going on. After all, these fighters have signed contracts, so assumedly were happy enough at the time to sign. Let me ask you something. How many contracts have you signed in your life that you were happy to sign? Not many. Not many. You signed a contract for a new apartment. Yeah, you agreed to pay the rent. Doesn't mean you're happy about it. Doesn't mean you think you're getting the best deal. Doesn't mean, oh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be paying 800 a month for this roach room or you know, whatever your situation might have been. Like Just because you signed it, you signed it for a lot of reasons, not because you were happy. There's always this misconception, well, these guys signed it. They must have been, they must have been thrilled. No. I mean, I'm sure some were thrilled. I'm sure some were like, oh, Jesus, all right, well, this is currently the best I can get, I guess. You know, I don't have a lot of leverage, so I guess I'll just sign it. Or this is the way things are. I guess I'll just sign it. I mean, there's nothing to do with thinking the terms are awesome. It has more, has a lot more to do with a complex series of uh, one emotions, uh, how leverage can be exercised, um, opp different opportunities, but happiness, no. Finally, where does this fighter discontent go, and how does it end? Boy, that is such a good question. That is such an important, serious question. And the answer is, I'm telling you guys, I'm not trying to be alarmist. I'm really not. I swear to God, I'm not trying to be alarmist. But how are you not worried about this if something doesn't change as a new TV deal comes up and as uh, that Reebok deal expires? I'm legit, and I'm not using this word lightly. I am legitimately straight up worried. Worried about what could happen here what it does to the product. We, I'm not saying necessarily it's a ticking time bomb, although part of me kind of feels that way if I'm being honest, but I, I don't know that I could defend that, that emotion. But what I can say is you are looking at discontent because the old regime, which is somewhat still in place, certainly at the top, isn't changing the way they operate. The fighters who have been there who now realize that they're not getting a big portion of what they want or feel even if it's irrational that they haven't been treated well uh, and i'm saying dj's been irrational but i'm sure you've heard some demand out there nick diaz i should get a title shot demand you're like what's well, this is irrational all right even if it is irrational it doesn't matter they feel that way and no one is doing anything to solve it and there are things on the horizon that you can see that are going to exacerbate that disconnect even more and the problem is you want to blame ufc for it okay fine but i don't I don't think they hold all the blame here. There's blame to be had on the fighter side. All these guys are just saying, these are terrible things the UFC is doing. I can't believe it. This is the end of the world, but I want to get mine. And no one is saying anything about, we need to fix this generally. So that's why everyone's like, oh, are we creating these conditions, this climate for fighter change? Well, certainly you have a lot of uh, disaffection. And in a sense, that's an ingredient. That's a different from a pivot towards the establishment of some kind of organization that protects interests. Very, very different. I'm, I'm legitimately worried, legitimately worried, because something has to change here or something's going to give. Fighter Association and tennis. I've heard this comment, this, this before. 
As much discussion as there have been about fighter unions, I've always been a bit curious why the comparison and effort is always compared to the NFL or NBA, which operate within the realm of team sports where the athletes have very different dynamics than in MMA, which is very much a solo sport, blah, blah, blah. Do you think there would be any merit to instead look closer at how tennis players have been able to organize their rights as I feel there is more similarities between the athletes in these two sports, especially since there has been a major athlete tournament struggles in recent history uh, with tennis. Yes, and there is a article linked below and i believe jonathan snowden wrote something for this i want to say for bloody elbow back in the day if not it was john nash um check that out um they wrote about how that tennis model could be followed a little bit more closely best move for megan anderson's career luke are you you are okay let's say you are megan anderson's manager all right do you accept a fight with Cyborg in the UFC for big bucks, or do you have her fight Helena Kolesnik headlining an Invicta FC event? Short-term consequences, long-term consequences. Short-term consequences are the long-term consequences, which is to say um, there is a, I know there is a reluctance to bring her because there is a concern that, not that she's not talented, and I share this concern that because she is not really ready for something the likes of Cyborg. And uh, and so as a consequence, what happens if you bring her over and she takes some kind of sustained beating or terrible loss and this affects her development? I think that's the concern. Now, I think partly those concerns are overstated. And if you're just going to keep giving her fights in Invicta, why can't you just bring them over to the UFC, bring her over to the UFC anyway? So there's that issue. So the other problem is, how many women are really willing to fight Cyborg? You know, y'all think y'all think Duran Demi is the only one who doesn't want to fight her. There's a bunch. Now, you might be like, well, Kat Singano wants to, but she can't get medically cleared for the time being. So um, that's a problem, at least in the short run. But there's not, a, there's not a ton of women lining up to fight her. If there were, they would, this would be a very different problem. The problem they're running into is they can't really find a whole lot of people. And the ones who do, because Megan Anderson's tough as nails, there's a question about whether or not that's the appropriate career move. So... That's the issue they're running into. You know, I'm, I'm her manager. I don't know. Like, it feels to me like the ship has kind of sailed a little bit. Maybe just go ahead and do it and, and, and you know, roll the dice. Because even if you lose, it's not necessarily career-defining. Um, it could be a learning experience, too. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a sticky situation, to put it mildly. <coughs> Have you heard that Dan uh, – excuse me. Have you heard that Conor McGregor can't tweet criticisms of the new featherweight title? I'm from Ireland, but have been living in D.C. for about 17 years now. What up, player? Anyway, one of my cousins from Dublin texted me to ask if I heard McGregor can't use social media to disparage whoever wins the fight on Saturday. This was before Saturday, obviously. He's at best a casual fan and had no connections to anyone I know, but said he heard it from his friend who has done some legal work for either McGregor or SBG. It seemed way too friend of a friend of a friend to take seriously so i said i hadn't heard anything about it and forgot it apparently part of the mayweather fight agreement is that he won't disparage either the featherweight champ or any interim title holder as lightweight at lightweight as they try to reestablish them as serious champions have you or any of your colleagues heard anything to this effect i have not but i will look into that because that is very interesting it makes sense but i didn't pay it enough heed until i checked mcgregor's twitter feed since the fights and there weren't there wasn't a peep Given his vitriol when he was supposedly stripped to make Aldo unanimous champ again, do you think this is the sort of thing they would include in a Mayweather agreement and then this was a looming fight 
part of the reason they got his side taken care of so early. It's a, it's an interesting theory. It's an interesting theory. I've not heard anything to that, but uh, that is certainly that'd be very smart, right? <laughs> like you're trying to build this division in the wake of uh, you know his absence. It would make sense to it would make sense to uh, to do something like that. That's that's really interesting. I'll look into. I'll see what I can find out. Uh, Lewis versus Hunt. Is this a do or die fight for Mark Hunt? No, but it's one he desperately needs. Here is his record of late. It is not too awesome. He's 43. He's the oldest fighter on roster. All right. He had four wins in a row from 2011 to 2013 of March. Then in May, he got KO'd by Junior Dos Santos. Then he had that crazy fight with Antonio Silva, which was a draw. Uh, then, majority draw. Then there was the Nelson fight, which he won. Back-to-back -back losses against Verdum and Miocic. Back-to-back -back wins against Antonio Silva and Frank Mir. Then he loses to Brock Lesnar, as we all know. And then he just lost to Overeem. So, um, he has put back... To, he has, he's 2-2 two two in his last four, which is not terrible. But you could say he's, you know... Two and two in his last four, or two and four in his last six, or you know, two, three, and one. Anyway, um, it depends how far back you want to go. But the point being is, he's a little bit more up and down these days. So this would be a nice way to return to a good spot. I don't know how they would ever come to a new agreement. I don't know how many fights he has left either. So I'm not sure that it hangs in the balance either for his future or for his legacy. But you know, avoiding the KO might be nice for his health. But you know, this is a guy who could probably draw in the you know New Zealand Australian area for quite a while is beloved I think by a large portion of the fan base for a lot of good reasons um, and as long as he can remain competitive should be fine but uh, I don't see this as some kind of like make or break moment for him if you just had to guess who would you say hits harder uh, Mark Hunt because it looked to me like Derek Lewis hit him with his best punch and hit Roy Nelson with his best punch and couldn't put him down. And Mark Hunt did. But maybe that's changed, you know. The guy's getting older. You get older fast. So keep that in mind. All right. It is about 2.15. Let us go uh, to the text machine. You can tweet me at LThomasNews. You can use the hashtag chat rappers, and I will try to get to as many of your questions as I can. Read this tweet by a UFC fighter commenting on DJ's refusal to fight TJ. Does he realize this mindset hurts him? Quote, he's at Dana White, at McMaynard, at Sean Shelby. F that pussy. Give me TJ Dillashaw. I don't shy away from the best. Hashtag new wave. Yeah, that was my favorite. It was like, I like TJ Dillashaw a lot. I would love to see him fight DJ. But, you know, standing up for the, M the double M, triple A, I don't know. It's a complicated issue because on the one hand, he feels like this is a very easy fight to make and there's no reason to not take it. But I don't know. Once DJ came out and made it about a promotional dispute, I don't know. There's almost this unwritten rule to... I mean, this is going to be a complicated issue for fighters, right? That's why there needs to be an agreement. What, how do you handle something? How do you handle somebody who you feel like should be fighting you? This is the fight to make. This is a great opportunity. It's a win-win. There's Everyone can really benefit in such a way. And at the same time, 
you honor this larger commitment about protecting fighter interests against promoters. When they clash, how do you handle that? Now, clearly, whatever allegiance he had with the double M AAA has either evaporated or is gone. But this is really, really complicated. Really, really complicated. In the case of someone like Jared Brooks, this is he's, you know, I'm sure he's a, a nice guy, but this attitude that he's presenting is very much crabs in a barrel. You know, it's not not necessarily all that great uh, f for everyone's interest. But this is something that is going to have to be resolved over time, which is why there needs to be a formal agreement. Establish all of these rules through some kind of agreement between fighters and promoter, establish a grievance process. That way, if you're not getting the fight you want, it's irrelevant of how that process will take place. The problem that TJ Dillashaw runs into is that it is now obstructing that or he looks like he's taking the promoter's side in the dispute when really he's just sort of taking his own side. It just so happens in this context that TJ and the UFC's interests coincide, but he's in his mind, I bet you he's doing his bidding, not the UFC's. Uh, and but that gets lost because of the way everything looks. Who does Gus have a better chance against in a rematch, DC or Jones? Boy, that's a good question. Um, maybe Jones. I think the way Gustafson handled Cormier striking and the way that Cormier aggressively stays in his face, I think can disrupt him a little bit. Uh, I don't know that that's the case with Jones. Jones is a little bit more deliberate about his takedowns and a little bit more patient on the outside. I think that works to Gus's advantage. So we'll have to see. Has the UFC ever created a black superstar? Again, the question is loaded. Have they created any star? But have they had guys who they helped propel to stardom? Yes. Uh, guys like Rampage Jackson. Remember, Rampage versus Evans is a top 10 pay-per-view all time. Something to be said for that. Why people let Connor absorb the accomplishments of fighters he beats, i.e. Rogan saying he's the best featherweight ever? I mean, why do people let Connor? Well, that's a complicated argument. I mean, who's the best fighter ever? The guy who beat a lot of guys, including the one they... What matters to you most? The the nature of a particular set of victories or an overall body of work. I, I side, I think, as an overall body of work that matters more, but I can understand. <laughs> I just don't agree that he's the best fighter ever, especially since he didn't defend the title, but uh, you know, he's certainly in the conversation at the very, very top. But to me, if you're asking me like from a priority standpoint, what matters more, it's body of work. If you could only perform one type of lift for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, easy. King of the lifts, deadlift. That's a very simple. There's actually a uh, Instagram account called King of the Lifts, and uh, it's just deadlift videos all day long, and they post like a bunch every day, sumo, conventional, touch and go, uh, versus you know dead stop. Like, it's it's amazing. It's like my favorite. I would just watch it all day long, watching all these deadlifts. TJ can erase the L served to him by Dodson. They are both 135ers in the top 10 rankings. Yeah, but there's no title on the line there. It's not the same kind of fight. Bellator can scoop up 28 guys in one go if the UFC decides to fold the division. Maybe Coker can give, go, give those guys some shine. Maybe, but are there really a bunch of featherweight women out there? We talk about how the UFC has no one to sign. Well, Bellator signing featherweight women, I think because they believe promotionally they can do more with it.
I, I'm going to ask Coker. Um, I'm going to ask him. Now, they might have designs on opening a flyweight division. I don't know what their truth is, but to date, they don't have one. Uh, I'm going to ask him, why don't you have a flyweight division? Do you do you think inherently in the combat sports space that there is a limit to that? Again, guys at ladder weights have sold before and sold well. Uh, it's not that you can't make money from them. You can, but you can't make as much as other segments of that fighting population. Who's your favorite tech reviewer on YouTube? Oh, uh, MKBHD, probably. There's that one guy, Nerdgasm. I forget his real name. Uh, he's really good, too. He's a huge nerd, though. What do you think about the potential Bellator card at Penn State with Phil Davis, Ed Ruth? I don't think there is a potential Penn State card, is there? They're going to go to Happy Valley? Uh, Luke, most of this uprising finds a voice on Ariel's show. It's an unofficial platform for a union, not in name, but in practice. Well, I think it's different than that. I think he's giving a platform to the most important voices. It just so happens that a lot of the most important voices have this view, but I don't think Ariel is, I don't want to speak for him, but as someone who knows him at least a little bit, I don't think he's trying to adopt a pro-union stance on his show. It's just a lot of discontent. <laughs> And it just looks that way right now. I mean, how many guys on this show in the history of it have said really positive things uh, about the UFC? I, I bet you even more. Um, so it just looks that way right now because there's just a lot of that out there. Someone says, McGregor and Ronda would be like the Kendrick and Drake. DJ would be like Joe Budden. <laughs> Pure talent. Hits here and there, but never, quote, caught on. Guys, all a record label needs to do, all they have to do to make someone famous is just promote them. That's it. Like, how how could anyone say, I don't know, let's pick someone. Um, like, what is the argument artistically, artistically, for promoting or how about this i mean look at this cannabis like was he not as a lyricist incredible sure he was now he made some strategic errors in the ll cool j thing but uh plenty of talented people just don't catch on now he took an l on that one so that's a little bit different but i'm just pointing out that like the ways in which people respond to entertainment products can be can be wildly different and you know, just saying, oh, it's a function of promoting it. To an extent, that is true. To an extent. To an extent, somebody's not, in this case, DJ is not, he is right. He is not getting the love he deserves. He is not getting the push that he is entitled to. The question is, if he got that, where would he be? And what does that say about the limits of the UFC in terms of creating a star? The UFC is like a, I mean, Iggy Azalea is more popular than... I don't know who's someone else I like. R.A. the Rugged Man. What does that mean? The UFC is like a record label. Meets buzzing artist halfway. Promo and push, but you have to bring numbers. Always how I saw it. Sounds about right to me. All right, here is a longer question. Luke, what are your thoughts on Mark Hunt 
being vocally, vocally anti-UFC yet still fighting for them. I see his point, but the delivery makes me cringe. I can't imagine still fighting would help his lawsuit either. Well, he still has an opportunity. He gets big, fat paychecks. Uh, I think he still wants to compete. So that portion of it I think he likes. Look, I think in general, what would Mark Hunt want? He would like to be in an amicable situation with the UFC. Now, maybe that's not possible anymore, but in an idealized world, this is what he would this is what would make him happy. So he still wants to fight. He still wants to be entertaining for the crowds in New Zealand. He still wants to be that guy. He's just having this dispute. I don't it seems weird because how can you fight for the person that you're suing? But really there's two different considerations. By the way, if he decides to just not fight, who gets hurt the most? UFC? Mm. Is it a good time for Aldo to move up to 155? I wouldn't mind it. Connor gone, Habib and Nate in limbo. Aldo versus Tony, no more 145. The thing is, those guys hit hard up there. And I wonder, part of me wonders if Aldo has been in a lot of gym wars and is a little bit more susceptible to heavy shots than he used to be. Not saying his chin is gone, that's not what I'm saying. But I don't think it's necessarily as sturdy as it once was. So it has declined. It's not gone. Yeah. Um, and I think he's a little bit wary of that. You are incredibly happy today. It happens every once in a while. Every once in a while. Uh, do you think WME is that brazen to sign a new TV deal without sharing ducats with fighters? PR-wise, that seems like suicide. I am confident they are that brazen. Yes, absolutely. Forced, otherwise, if they're not forced to do it, I fundamentally believe, fundamentally believe that they will do that. They will, they will not share a penny. It's a leveraged world, and that is how the UFC has operated. That's why I'm, that's, that's why I'm like legitimately worried. Uh, why did Mighty Mouse sign an eight-fight deal with the UFC if he isn't happy? Well, because I think he expected to get them to bend at the end at some point in the course of that eight-fight deal. Remember, not everyone who signs a deal is in love with the terms. There might be things about a deal you hate, but you still sign it because on balance it makes the most sense. It's, 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 it's more about a cost-benefit analysis rather than, gee, I am so thrilled, right? I'm going to – look, I don't have a car. I don't have a bike. So I need to sign for an apartment that I can live downtown in, you know, because even if I lived in the suburbs, I have to pay for a car and drive in and get insurance. And that would be more expensive. So I'll take a more expensive apartment and I'll live downtown. But God damn, the rent is super high there. I don't really want to pay this, but and I'll save them in the long run. I will save a little bit more money. But geez, that rent is high. You're not super thrilled to sign the contract. You're just doing it because it makes the most sense because that's what you need. But I will say this to your point. These guys signing eight-fight deals, and they're not putting in all these guarantees along the way as circumstances change, they've got a lot of soul-searching to do. Would you rather be forced to watch only MLS until you, <laughs> until you die or listen to Face the Pain five days a week for the rest of your life? Okay, it's funny you mention this. I have seen a first. Of all, the answer is MLS, even though MLS is god awful. But I still rep DC United. Don't think I don't. Got a Bill Hamid jersey downstairs. Um, face the pain. 
Speaking of the old way of doing things, now I think some of this research looks totally flawed. They appear to have married census data with Nielsen ratings, which I don't know how viable a measurement tool that is. But did you guys see that Sports Business Journal article saying the average UFC, the median, excuse me, not the average, there's a difference. The median age of the UFC viewer 10 years ago, 2007, was 34. The median age is now, as they put it, 49. It's aged 15 years in 10 years. Now, I don't buy that. I think uh, those numbers are off. I do think there's something to be said that the initial group that began watching UFC on TV has aged online or or stream or whatever the case may be. So I'm sure the the number is up. Don't get me wrong. I I don't find that terribly difficult to understand, but I don't think it's aged 15 years in 10 years. But uh, what I would say is you look at that, you have to think probably there's something to the idea that the population is older or that's watching on television. Uh, you've got this old way of doing things. You maintain leadership from a different era. This is a new era, fundamentally. And part of the problem, both as a way of appealing to youth and as a way of dealing with your fighters, requires a refreshment. It requires a new arrangement. It requires something new. It requires something big, something different. And you're still out there playing face the pain. You saw Dan Hardy out there tweeting about it. Noting that this song feels real 2005. Yeah, because it is. Because it is. There needs to be a refreshment. There needs to be a new way of doing things. And that can start with the production elements and finding ways to appeal to millennials or whatever the case may be. Whatever whatever, whatever side of the uh, population you want to appeal to that's a little bit younger. An age above that or something. But, but yes, there's this old habits they've got all the way from leadership to production choices that are old. I can't believe I'm saying this because the UFC was the youthful, interesting, you know, groundbreaker for all these years. They're getting old. They're getting old. There's old habits that need to die, and they need to replace them with new ones. John Tesh had the NBA theme song for years, but eventually they had to let that go too because half of you, shit, two-thirds of you watching right now are like, who's John Tesh? Right, exactly. This is my point. The face, the pain being around, you guys can laugh at it as something like, well, that's something Luke Thomas really hates. And I hate saying my name like that in the third person, so please forgive me. I swear to God, I'm not Deion Sanders. You could just say it's something I hate, and it's true that I hate it. But now you're looking at real-world evidence that this might be something holding back the product. That's how old it is. That's how out of touch it is. I'm telling you, when they switched from Zufa or you know the Fertitta owned to the WME backed, they needed to make some some changes. The product needs to be updated from a production standpoint and a variety of other capacities as well. They've got to get out there and change that song. They've got to get out there and refresh that opening and refresh a lot of other things they've done. They did a brand and logo refreshment. They did not go far enough. What was it? 2016. That needs much, much more, much more. That song needs to die. And if they need my help, like Grover Norquist talking about taxes, I will drown it in the bathtub for them. All right. One last thing here, and then we will go. If you want to send me an email, you may. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at LThomasNews. You can uh, Facebook and Instagram, Luke Thomas News. Thank you so much for watching. A la Madrid, <laughs> greatest team. Shout outs to all the, tw- the haters and losers out there who tried to bring me down. How does it feel now? All right? 
Until next week, thank you so much for watching. Stay frosty.